Hi, I'm Tom Brooks, Professor of Law and Government, and welcome to the Tom Brooks Podcast. In this podcast, I want to talk about the EU's uh, returns policy that the UK was a member of and the impact that policy um, has had. One of the findings of my recent report was that the UK's Brexit deal had an, uh, was a primary factor in why we see the boats um, taking off in the way that we do today. And so some of the things that I identify is that there were no small boats recorded by the government or any other government prior to 2018. There were none. So any kind of claim it was a, a labor government, that it was a Whig or a liberal government is, is wrong. Um, this is something that's happened about 10 years on the watch of uh, the conservatives. And that there seems to be something that happened. Why is it, we must ask ourselves, that there were none that happened before 2018? What about 2018? Did something happen then that made people begin to think that this was a pathway to cross into Britain when the first 299 made that journey and then what happened in 2020 when numbers really took off um, and I mean uh, really took off from just 299 uh, to then uh, nearly 8,500 and then by and then by 2021 we had uh, over 28,000 um, and so on and so forth what is it that uh, happened in those years when you listen to the government, they come up with no answers. They talk about illegal human trafficking gangs. They talk about smuggling. Um, of course, these things have been happening already. It's not clear why this smuggling and other things would somehow um, erupt and grow on their watch after about 10 years of, of managing the borders, You know why that would happen. They certainly haven't said, oh, there's any particular weakness in our plans. Of course, there is one that they don't want to draw attention to. They, they say sometimes, well, you know, we're a very generous country. But actually, the rates per um, 100,000 people in Britain is smaller. Other countries have um, opened up their doors more. Other countries offer more to uh, asylum seekers in terms of when folks can work and conditions than the UK. And so it's hardly that. Or we've also heard um, that, you know, our generous accommodation that uh, oh, we we're offering private accommodation, but there's no one coming across right now who is expecting uh, to be put up in some kind of holiday park, risking their life of themselves and their family. And the thought is offensive that they might be, or that even that it's a choice. We have a lot of people who are being trafficked, uh, who are being smuggled. And I'm very clear in my report that the cause of the small boats and the cause of uh, problems is clearly illegal human traffickers and human smuggling and not um, uh, the, the, any change in rules, although the change in rules have allowed um, it, it, it for these gangs to exploit um, the change uh, in how the rules operate. And that, I think, is exactly what is happening. So what can we possibly point to in 2018 and 2020? What possibly happened <coughs> that might have had some impact. Well, the first thing to note is that Britain passed the European Union Withdrawal Act in 2018, June of that year. 
Now, in the run-up to that, the very first small boats made were recorded making crossings just before that act um, was passed. But while it was uh, being debated and and um, uh, conservative MPs um, and others were trying to uh, get it passed. 80% of the crossings that year happened after it was passed in October, November, and December 2018. Now, that only represented about 2% of what's called irregular migration into Britain. That's folks traveling by small boats, uh, traveling the back of a lorry, other types of vehicles who don't have leave trimming, don't have a a, a tourist visas, uh, work visas, something else to come into the country. Only 2% came by small boat in 2018. It grew to 11% in 2019. Hmm. Bigger, a bit more. But then it became 83% of all irregular migration in 2020 and 90% thereafter and then higher again. What we see is not just a change in terms of the way people are crossing, although you do see some of that, at the moment, you know, virtually all uh, irregular migration that is recorded is coming across in small boats. But the total numbers, the overall number, have been fairly steady, 2016, 17, even 2018. But something then shifts after that. Something then changes. And it's important to understand what went different and why uh, heading into the Withdrawal Act and Britain's uh, pulling out of the European Union, why it, what it is that might have been an attraction. Well, let's reflect on this. In 2017, before this act was, uh, you know, kind of set for its final vote, Britain was a member of the European Union. And as a member of the European Union, EU countries signed up to something called the Dublin Regulation. This was an EU-wide system of, uh, of a returns policy. It effectively said, if someone arrived in uh, Greece first, and then for whatever reason, while their asylum application was being um, processed, they proceed to uh, cut across to France, hop on some type of vehicle, get across to Britain, and, and, and discovered in Britain, they could be um, returned to Greece. Now, people who defend the government We'll say things like, well, we thought about the Dublin regulation, we thought about the EU returns policy, uh, but we don't really think it was much of a factor because the numbers were fairly low. There weren't many people coming into Britain through it. There weren't many people being sent out to Britain um, from it. And so they just didn't think it was um, a very big deal and didn't have much to do with anything. But they get something, I think, hugely wrong. The clue is in not many numbers are involved while we are a member of it. They didn't contemplate what would happen if we were not. For the whole of the Brexit period, I had helped write various parliamentary questions for uh, front bench uh, labor um, uh, politicians um, to, to ask the question you know, to government about, well, so what assessment have they made about... Uh, Britain leaving the European Union without uh, a returns agreement um, of some kind, whether being in the same, uh, leaving the one we're in, or, or, or and maybe doing some other arrangement, or assessment of having nothing at all. 
And the answer came back very clearly. The government was trying to negotiate something, uh, but it had never made an assessment. They seemed to, my my uh, belief uh, in my, my, my considered view reading the correspondence between the government and the labor front bench, is the government was trying to come uh, up with a returns, having some type of returns uh, arrangement in place with the European Union after Britain left. There are non-EU countries who are part of this arrangement, like Liechtenstein, like Norway, like Switzerland. Britain could be part of that. You don't have to be in the EU to be part of this um, returns policy. We wanted to be and probably expected uh, something to arise, but it didn't happen. And we, we did not um, stay included. And the fact is the government has admitted that it has not made any assessment for what would happen if Britain didn't have a returns policy with the EU. Hence, Britain's government did not expect um, or see coming um, the small boat crossing issue. And a small boat crossing issue, I think, is a pretty clear one. Here it is. Under the arrangement, someone, as I say, someone comes across, um, enters Greece, comes across via France to Britain, discovered. It could be returned to Greece. But when you're outside the arrangement, someone comes across to Britain from France on a small boat. Well, when you don't have a returns arrangement, there is no arrangement for you to return the person to France. And so all of a sudden you go from a system where people who are discovered can be sent back and not many recorded tried that. Certainly not as many as are trying it now, that if you're discovered now, you can't be uh, returned. And so instead of more clandestine um, uh, travel in the back of lorries or other types of uh, travel, now we have small boats. The boats each year are taking on more and more people as they come across. So now we're seeing more total numbers of boats and certainly a huge rise in the numbers of people. But we're seeing more people per boat um, as well coming across because you know, why hide that once folks are um, discovered and, and known, the, the, uh, possibly a returning people has become much more difficult given that that, win that uh, policy had come to a close. So those who thought that the EU arrangement didn't really mean anything and leaving it wouldn't really have any consequences because, well, you know, there's not a lot of people in the system um, trying, you know, recorded, known to be going irregularly from place to place um, of anything um, of, of a particular concern. Well, it's very different when now people can't be returned, certainly not very easily. And so that might be a huge incentive for um, illegal human traffickers to exploit um, this um, uh, uh, as an opportunity, um, putting lives of vulnerable people at risk. It's a risk, it's a consequence that the government was warned about, warned about by me. I wrote a piece on the 17th of June, 2016, to my knowledge, the first um, uh, on record about what would happen. I said, and I quote, 
that there would be more, not fewer, people coming across without a returns arrangement, and that it would be putting their lives on the line. There would be more lives put at risk. Um, uh, so we'd have not just total numbers uh, going up um, of irregular migration into the UK, but there'd be more lives at risk, and 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 I feared more lives lost uh, crossing the channel into the UK. Um, and very sadly, this this prediction made about two years before the first boat ever set sail uh, with the first migrants um, starting this small boat crossing um, uh, uh, issue. Um, sadly, this predict prediction uh, came true, both in terms of the numbers of people involved, that there would be large numbers coming across, and there are, but there would be many lives, um, sadly and tragically, um, put at risk. And of course, with <laughs> with with uh, many uh, deaths as well. The government had been warned repeatedly um, over a number of years. I made sure that tables were questioned and that they had to answer and they would regularly announce that still no assessment um, had yet been made. And what is interesting to me to kind of close on this thought. So one, the first part of the, you know, of the argument here is that for those who say, well, look, the Dublin regulation didn't really mean anything. The EU returns policy didn't really mean anything because, well, you know, it wasn't a lot of people involved anyway. That was just considering a, a system where um, folks could be returned to wherever they came from first and, and, and that you didn't have many people recorded um, uh, coming in and out of Britain, uh, not more than, you know, we're talking hundreds of people uh, not not usually uh, that many uh, thousands of people, certainly not the tens of thousands that we see now. But then the situation changes when you say, right, now if you take us out of that and people can't be returned or certainly not returned very easily to France, to other places in, in the EU, you know, what would the incentive be there? Well, clearly this has not been done, should have been done, uh, were warned, and they just badly, uh, very badly, got that wrong. But the second uh, aspect of this that I think the government and their supporters have really missed out on is this. Some folks talk about the need for a deterrent strategy, that there's somehow something wise about, um, you know, having a policy about welcoming refugees and accommodating those uh, who are fleeing persecution and so on, and trying to deter people from uh, making those uh, kinds of, uh, lo lodging those kinds of claims um, in, in general. Um, how do you square those those two um, ambitions? I'm not, I'm not so sure um, uh, their argument works. But I'll put another point out there, uh, another angle and how we, we might think about this. So the government thinks we want to deter this. We want the numbers to reduce that um, they, they claim that they think a lot of these um, applicants aren't very genuine, which is odd because most of them um, are are being accepted as having asylum claims. So it seems that most seem to have valid claims according to the Home Office criteria. So it's not clear what they're talking about. Um, so they want to bring down the numbers. They want to have uh, less lives at risk on the um, on the channel, which of course I think everyone would want, though different ways of, of thinking about how you might do it. And so they think we want to have something that deters people from doing that 
that journey. And so the best way they think to deter people and to make sure they get the help that they need or whatever is to have this Rwanda policy of sending folks to Rwanda to have their applications heard there. Now, the Rwanda policy is one. There's been several questions lobbied about, well, what modeling has been done uh, of any deterrent effect here? And the answer is they, the government claims there's a myriad of factors um, and so are a multitude of factors. And so therefore, they're unable to uh, give any estimate of what deterrent effect it has. So they've spent 140 million pounds with nobody actually having gone anywhere, no plane actually having set off with anyone to Rwanda, no applications considered or heard, and so on. All behind this strategy of, well, this will deter people. Folks who risked their lives <coughs> coming across will somehow be deterred by being sent to Rwanda. And there's, there's, Rwanda's been used, um, you know, um, other times and, and it hasn't worked. And the, these, these cases are well known. But I don't even want to go down that road. I don't think we have to go down that road. Instead, what I would say is this, is this. If the issue is about ensuring those uh, folks who need support get support in that first safe country they're at, if we think that's a genuinely good principle, whether it be France, whether it be Britain, whether it be somewhere else, I leave to one side. But we think that's what should be done. Then, you know, having the returns arrangement that was in place would be the best way of ensuring that. So if we had a returns arrangement, say, with France, and if people say we're convinced that, and I have no reason to think you wouldn't be, that France would be a perfectly fine place to um, uh, have a claim heard and so on and so forth. Well, then having a returns arrangement with France or the EU more widely might be the way to go. And note that, you know, under the Dublin uh, transfer system, many came to Britain. So, you know, people, some people um, set foot in Britain first and then went elsewhere or had connections to Britain and were transferred um, here. So, um, you know, this isn't about um, a system whereby Britain sends everyone away. In fact, it's a system where Britain sometimes had more people coming in to the UK than, than coming out, actually, um, for, for asylum. So for those who are listening who are worried about this, this talk of transfers and returns elsewhere and concerned about Britain's doing its bit, that actually under that system, Britain um, often had, had taken more uh, than it returned um, elsewhere. And so there need not be the same um, type of worry, uh, as imperfect as the system uh, is um, and, and, and as it had operated in Britain, for sure. But one way of thinking about reducing numbers is that, well, if people coming across knew, or at least if the human trafficker, illegal human traffickers knew or became aware that everyone picked up could be returned and might be returned where they came from, that that route would not be one on the open seas that was um, a sure thing to get to, um, to get to Britain and to stay in Britain, that there would be um, some other process in here that returns could be possible and would happen. Well, that might be some way of making people think um, twice about using that, that form of, of transport um, for smuggling and for other things. And I note 
that when we were last in an arrangement like this, when we last had a returns policy with our close neighbors in Europe, the grand total, uh, and before uh, we went to a transfer, um, the transition period, before the EU withdrawal bill and so on, the total numbers of small boats into Britain, 2017 and before, were a grand total of zero. So for those who want to bring the numbers down, one thing to do is to, well, to do what you did when you didn't have any. And so part of the recommendation, key recommendation of my report is that a returns policy is, is a crucial um, part of this. Not so much for, um, uh, you know, absolving our responsibilities. In fact, again, the system of returns often led many more coming to Britain. Um, important that it's very important that Britain does its bit. Um, but it's also important that uh, people do not put their lives at risk or have them put at risk by these criminal gangs. It's important that their model is broken up, that their activity ceases, and, and that there not be uh, legal gaps, legal issues, uh, changes in the regulations that they can exploit, which the government has um, effectively allowed to happen. So that's, that's my podcast on the returns policy. But the returns policy actually has an impact on numbers and an impact on numbers that if you didn't see it coming, if it sounds a bit different, well, you're a good company. The government didn't see it coming either. Um, but that's why we have each other. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you again. This is Tom Brooks for the Tom Brooks Podcast.